Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. And I also uh, am going to be talking, I think maybe once a month in the podcast, I'm going to start talking about something that we're doing here in Springfield. So in 2019, there was a huge spike in reported overdoses towards the end of the year. As we made phone calls to local leaders in Springfield, we were told that they were meeting and had formed a committee and were doing things to address the increase in overdoses. However, the more we dug into it, the more it appeared that people with use disorders were not invited to the table. Eventually, we realized that people with use disorders weren't being included in the conversation at all. Uh, Neither people who were in recovery or people who were still actively using. I kept hearing... uh, something that was said at uh, the 2019 Mobilized Recovery in Vegas. Uh, You're either at the table or you're on the menu. I didn't want to be on the menu. You know, uh, and also I think of uh, that rallying cry that came out decades ago, uh, nothing about us without us. We needed to be included in the conversation. We asked to be included in the conversation and we were told, no, we've got it from here. So Better Life and Recovery opted to build their own table, right? We partnered with several other organizations, uh, like we immediately partnered with uh, Preferred Family Healthcare and Burl Behavioral and the Well Church, and we hosted the Springfield Overdose Summit. The Well Church had an amazing location downtown right off the square, and above their church is a parking garage. So easy access to parking. It was in a place where uh, a lot of people congregate who may have needed some of the uh, services we were offering and some of the things we were going to talk about. And at the end of the day, I mean, the Springfield Overdose Summit was an event that gave a lot of people in our community knowledge that they might have lacked about treatment, housing, recovery, harm reduction, other programs in Springfield. Uh, We also uh, did a Narcan training and made uh, fentanyl test strips and Narcan available for free uh, to anybody that was there. We actually ended up giving out several hundred uh, Narcan kits that day. And what stood out was the fact that I started getting contacted as we came closer to the summit date by the same people who were working on the problem, working on addressing it, asking if they could be involved in the summit, asking if if we would give them some time to speak. And we did. I mean, this was all about collaboration, right? That's what we really wanted to do. So at the end of the summit, I felt that we had some really good synergy. Uh, we had a lot of uh, community participation and support for the summit. And after that, people with use disorders were asked to come to a citywide planning meeting uh, in December that they were having. So uh, we went to that. And it will always stand out to me. I probably, I know I've talked about this before, but uh, at the end of that meeting, they said, okay, we'll go ahead and come together in January for our next meeting. And 
I was like, wait a minute, we talked about some things here, I think, that we could apply right now, that we could do right now. Because in a month, how many people are going to overdose? How many more parents are going to have to bury their kids? And I was told, well, first we have to come to a consensus for why everybody's here. And, and that really struck me as odd. In fact, it, it's, it makes me mad still when I think about it. Because I thought everybody was there because we were sick and tired of all the overdoses. And we were, uh, <clears throat> we were trying to figure out ways that uh, we could find so that there would be less overdoses and less parents having to bury their kids and less kids having to grow up without parents, right? So I thought we had a consensus, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, we didn't. So we came back in January. And uh, in that meeting, uh, they made a really big deal. There was a new program that was getting ready to come into Springfield. And uh, the executive director of the organization who's, uh, that, w- that had gotten the funding to open up uh, that new thing was there. I mean, I don't want to straight call them out. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, it was really a lot of <clears throat> everybody congratulating him, tapping him on the back. Give me a second. got to take a drink. But yeah, there was a lot of, uh, everybody was really excited. So, uh, and at the end of that meeting, uh, they basically said, we've heard your suggestions and we're going to begin working on using them to reduce overdoses. And I thought they were. So I kind of handed the reins over to them. Uh, We had momentum and I truly believed that we'd handed the reins over to people and that it was being addressed. So imagine my surprise when uh, Dr. Rachel Rinegrad and her team from the Missouri Institute of Mental Health uh, provided some data a couple months ago. Uh, It showed that overdose deaths due to opioids in Greene County, uh, when comparing January through June of 2020 to January uh, through June of 2019, uh, we'd had 120% increase. I mean, we had more than doubled the number of opioid-related overdose deaths. Uh, Then I contacted the medical examiner and I asked him if he had any numbers and he was able to pretty quickly provide me with uh, numbers that were just March through June of 2019 and March through June of 2020. And there it was an 88.5% increase in total uh, drug poisoning deaths. Once again, I mean, we'd almost doubled. Not to mention there was, I think, a 40% increase in suicide deaths and... Our homicide rate had tripled. I mean, we we were showing a lot of problems. Now, of course, those problems, March through June, were after we had the shelter in place and after COVID had hit. But we had January through March to really, we had a couple months where we could have applied some of those things that we talked about and the, uh, the meetings that we had in December and January, and none of it really was applied other than uh, opening up the new thing uh, that had gotten several million dollars to fund, which uh, I don't know. Uh, I know anytime something new opens up, there's always some hitches. So I hope that as it kind of finds its feet and that it becomes more effective. But as of now, it hasn't been extremely effective, right? Or at least it doesn't appear that way based on the numbers that we're getting. And, I'm sure those numbers are greatly exacerbated by COVID, but the truth is we still have a lot of people that need help and they're just not getting it, right? Um, 
but seeing those huge increases, I, I kind of took it personally. I, I dropped the ball. We had dropped the ball. We should have continued running with it since we had got the uh, momentum. And instead, we had left it to various other uh, organizations, you know. Uh, and that's, you know, that's probably a really good learning experience. So we're not going to let that happen again. This time we have to do something. We have to unite together. Um, if we really want to see it done well and followed through with. Because I really fear that if the people who truly care and have a personal investment in addressing these drug poisonings don't step up, that we're just not going to do anything. We're going to continue burying people at higher and higher rates. So what we're trying to do, what we are doing is putting together a, uh, a Springfield Green County Task Force to address uh, drug poisoning and drug poisoning deaths. Now, that's something that I really haven't done in the past. But fortunately, I've worked with a couple really, really uh, good initiatives that I think we can apply here. Uh, one of those is, of course, uh, Recovery Advocacy Project Mobilize Recovery. And here we have, uh, I don't know, I'm going to go back to uh, what we, what, uh, a training that they had us do. It was uh, Marshall Gans training who is a lecturer and he is with the Harvard Kennedy School. And, <clears throat> and we had some stuff that we read about that. And he talked about a few things in order to, uh, to do some, let's say, effective, effective organizing, right? He said, uh, there's a lot of new things we have to figure out, you know, because there's always going to be uncertainty, uh, some novelty of going into something. Uh, there's always the fear that goes with it. Am I gonna Am I gonna screw this up? Uh, are other people gonna see it go wrong? Um, are we gonna try to do this and it's just gonna splat, right? Uh, and nothing's gonna happen. But at the same time, I think whenever we see just how big the need is, we have to kind of push that aside, right? I've had some people slam me for being fearful in the past. Um, in fact, quite recently, actually, I think I got slammed uh, for being afraid of picking this up and running with it last year. Uh, the truth was, I honestly thought that it was handled. And it's amazing to, <clears throat> to see people who have created nothing call other people out for the things that they're actively doing and have created. That, that always annoys me. And, and maybe I come from a place of privilege. I mean, I do, right? I am white, cisgender, uh, Christian, living in the United States. Of course, when I first moved to Springfield, I, you know, had a 29-year-old, uh, that had to beg to sleep on a couch uh, whenever I first came back here. Uh, I came here with nothing but a duffel bag of clothes. And that was all that I had left my name whenever I came here. And, you know, through that, uh, I've been able to go to college, get multiple degrees, become a therapist, form my own nonprofit. And it's taken a lot of really hard work and not just jumping in and expecting everything to be handed to me. You know, I think that's one of the first lessons for a lot of people out there is some people, uh, they jump into something and they immediately are able to build something successful. Um, that's not something I, I could do. 
uh, I don't have that ability. What I did have the ability to do was to grind something out over time as I built uh, a reputation and people saw that I... I was genuine, I was who I said I was, and that I followed through on the things I said I was going to do. It took showing up every time and showing up at places for free. Uh, It took, you know, seeing things that were missing and creating them and doing it on my own instead of expecting other people to do it for me or walk beside me and hold my hand while I did it. Uh, And now I'm at a place where hopefully we can begin to expand and I can use some of the power that I've acquired to empower other people um, who maybe don't have the same advantages and privileges that I have, right? I think that's what power is, should be used for. Not to rule with an iron hand, not to elevate yourself, but to bring along people that may not have those same advantages and privileges so that they too can have an impact in their communities. So, so as we start to organize, though, I mean, there's definitely some things we have to focus on. And according to... Uh, the paper that we had from Marshall Gans, he talked about four things. He said there's got to be relationship, right? Um, because relationships are extremely important when it comes to building anything, right? So I've got these relationships that I need to build. And once I start building the, that, those relationships, then I need to figure out exactly what the purpose is, right? Because relation. Relationally, I can see where there's uh, interactions between the people who are who uh, we may need to to join. Uh, say in this case, the uh, task force that I have that that we are starting, and then we'll have to see what relationships they have out in the community. From there, we look uh, for our purpose, right? Uh, basically, are we either moving towards or developing a goal? Um, and looking for an outcome, right? And then, of course, we, uh, we need feedback because feedback kind of lets us see whether or not we are advancing towards meeting those goals uh, and uh, whether or not we, we may start towards them and decide that we need to change goals or that maybe the outcome that we originally wanted was either uh, wasn't uh, lofty enough, and we need a new outcome that's going to be more advanced than the one we initially had, and then we actually need to focus in. You know, I, I think that's one of the problems a lot of times. Whenever you have something that starts, and I am very guilty of this, is having entirely too many irons in the fire, right? Because there's all these things that I know need to be done, and all these things that I want to do. And a lot of times, because of our interactions with other people, we feel like we're the ones that have to do it all, right? Well, last time I handed the reins over to somebody, it got dropped. This time I have to micromanage everything to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Um, unfortunately, that's not how you get things effectively done. You know, uh, a good leader, you know, I, I was talking to Chad Sabor the other day and he reminded me of a line in a, in a movie. Uh, whenever uh, it's in uh, Starship Troopers, whenever uh, Roshek uh, ad- uh, advances, uh, God, I can't think of his name, but it's Casper Van Diem's uh, guy. And, you know, he says, you're it until you die or somebody better comes along. You know, uh, my hope is that in the next year or two, I find somebody better who comes along that 
can do what I do so I can step back and empower them. I mean, that's what a good leader does is builds other leaders. Uh, I'm just now starting to get into a place where I can actually spend some time coaching and mentoring people because I don't have multiple full-time jobs. Instead, I only have one full-time job and that should allow me to do some more of that. And I think that's important because we start looking at what challenges are when we're organizing. And uh, according to Marshall Gans, the first thing is there's that motivational challenge, right? For some weird reason, the person is not motivated enough uh, to put in the hours needed to practice or to put in that last bit of energy needed to cross the threshold um, or maybe not take the risk needed to learn. So we have to help people sometimes uh, push through that if they don't have that motivation. And I, I feel that sometimes if people aren't motivated enough to do this, then maybe this just isn't for them. Uh, then we have educational challenges. And that doesn't just mean that maybe somebody doesn't have the skill that, skills that they need or the intelligence they need, but maybe they don't have the data that they need in order to do the job well. Or maybe they don't have the experience needed to uh, have the judgment that they need in order to be successful. So now when somebody has both of those, both the information and the motivation, but they don't know where, when, or how to use it so that they get the outcome that we're after, then we look at a strategic challenge, right? And hopefully as a mentor and a coach, now I can start working with people more individualized and help figure out which one of those challenges may be holding somebody back, right? So say if somebody uh, is very skilled, but for whatever reason they aren't putting forth effort, then you know what? Maybe the training is not going to help. Maybe me coaching, mentoring them is not going to help. Maybe, uh, like I said, this just is something that maybe they don't need to do. So so that's one of the things that we start to look at as we start to build a uh, coalition or a task force, right? Um, But of course, that requires me as kind of the person that's spearheading it, uh, being able to talk to the people that are involved and ask them the right questions, um, looking at how I can support the people that I'm working with, listening to them, and, you know, also challenging people, right? Uh, At the end of the day, this isn't just about telling people, man, you're doing an awesome job, or oh my gosh, uh, (laughs) do better. Um, And it's definitely not about telling people what to do because I think most people already know what they need to do. But instead, it's trying to figure out how we can look at people's uh, strengths and weaknesses and figure out uh, what's the best thing for us to do to overcome those, right? Weaknesses or um, where we can plug them in and help them bolster other people with their strengths. So we also, uh, I also had the privilege of going through... uh, Uh, Facing Addiction, which is uh, the leadership project, uh, the community project that uh, Michael King kind of spearheaded. And they had a community convening guide where they looked at some things. So I will tell you now what our plans are. Our plans are to start a, uh, to start the task force. We're going to have monthly meetings. Uh, We're going to have our first monthly meeting in January. Uh, I believe February 19th, we're going to have our first of two yearly summits. And in that first summit, what we're looking at doing is first uh, outlining the problem, 
and then uh, that'll be data, numbers, everything else. And then we'll have multiple uh, panels, which will basically be like five-minute blocks of people that are from uh, treatment, people that are from support groups, people that are from recovery residences, people that are from uh, various other programs in the community that support people with behavioral health, talking about who they can help, uh, what population that they were built to work with, how you can access their services, and what you need in order to access. Do you need uh, an ID and a social security card? Uh, do you need insurance or Medicaid? Uh, do you need money or is it more of a play on sliding scale? And if you don't make enough, it will actually be free. Those types of things, because I want people to leave with tangible information. And then we'll probably end with uh, an invitation to... Uh, one of the monthly uh, meetings that we'll be having, as well as uh, making people more aware of, A, the Good Samaritan 911 bill, uh, access to Narcan, where they can pick it up for free in the community. So those types of things. So as we start forming, though, you know, we realize that if we're going to have these summits, they need to be interactive, right, Uh, and, and drawing community members. So we need to have respected people from within our own community that are involved in it. Um, We're going to start off, like I said, by outlining our community's current challenges. Um, And then we're going to look at some of the the programs we have. And then hopefully we're going to look at, we're going to propose solutions that we're going to discuss in our first couple meetings, task force meetings before we have the summit, some solutions to the problem. Because I've always heard that... uh, that complaining huh, or criticizing without having solutions is whining, and I don't want to whine, right? Um, I also don't really want to criticize too much. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, another one of my favorite quotes says, uh, a critic is someone who uh, goes out on the battlefield after the war has already been fought and shoots the survivors. It's amazing how many people I see complain about things like housing, like recovery residences, and yet they haven't opened up recovery residences. Honestly, if you want to complain about how horrible it is and how people are just in it for the money, then open it up yourself. And obviously, I mean, you can do better or you wouldn't be complaining about the problem, right? Obviously, you have solutions or you wouldn't be complaining. Uh, Some of these things I I do criticize uh, because we can do it better. Uh, Like, I do believe that there's tons of things that we're missing in treatment that we could do better. Like, I'm still shocked that we do uh, stay-funded residential treatment, and yet stay-funded residential treatment doesn't pay for families to come in and do like a half day of therapy and work themselves with a therapist and then the person who's going to be coming back into their home. I mean, when you put the same person back into the same environment they came out of when they were using and then blame it on them for relapsing, I don't think that that's on them. When their use recurs, it's because there was, you know, I don't know why, but I know a lot of times uh, mental health and trauma are tied to substance use. So there's still something that's activating that depression, that anxiety, that trauma in the house. And a lot of times people doing what they think is best out of love are actually the things that are killing people. And here I'm not talking about enabling. I'm talking about the opposite. 
I'm talking about that antiquated thinking that people have to hit rock bottom and tough love is the best way to go and all these things that that anecdotally work. But if you look at the massive copious amounts of research out there, they show that more often than not, they do not. Right. I mean, you can always look at anecdotal information, uh, but it's actually looking at the studies out there, the quantitative, qualitative studies that can be replicated um, in other settings. That's what I want to look at. That's evidence based research. Right. Some that's been tried thousands of times and we have research to back it up and you can apply this and have the exact same outcomes. That's what we want. Instead, we continue to have places that keep burying people that are in their programs because they're not doing an effective job. And that family counseling is one of the key ways they could do it. Uh, Being more accepting of medication is another way that places could do it. Uh, Realizing that there's multiple pathways to recovery and embracing those pathways is another way to do it. So that's kind of where we're at right now as we sit back. Uh, we're going to use the, uh, the first two meetings that we have in January and February to set the tone for the summit. Uh, with that summit, we are going to give people information that they don't already have. And in January, I will uh, do another podcast that will be after our first meeting and kind of talk about some of the people that were there, what we talked about, what our hopes are. Um, In the hopes that maybe if somebody is wanting to start a task force or uh, a community forum of their own, that maybe we can, they can listen to this and get some, uh, some helpful stuff from it. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in once again. We will be back next, uh, we'll have another new one coming out next week. And if there's something that you're wanting to hear, some questions you'd like to hear answered, somebody that you'd like to hear us get on the podcast please reach out to us. Uh, you can do that through betterlifeandrecovery.com. You can email me at david at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, you can also go to like Springfield Recovery Community Center on Facebook, Better Life and Recovery, Hope Dealer pages on Facebook, any of those, or just go to David uh, to my personal page, David Stoker, and shoot me a DM. Uh, thanks a lot. I hope you all have an amazing week. Bye. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture.